welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and lately I've been watching a lot of sport on TV. It's nice to have the time to do so, and I've been treated to the ATP Finals tennis matches and the Autumn Nations Rugby Cup. I hadn't heard of it either. It's like the Six Nations, but with Georgia and Fiji, curiously. If you're listening from either one of those countries, I'd love to hear from you. From a musician's point of view, we've gotten used to performances in front of no one, whether it be live streams or performing to empty venues. That is, the ones that are lucky enough to still be running this year. But of course, in many places in the world, sports matches too are going ahead without the spectators. That colourful, roaring conglomerate pulsating from the arena stands. Gone. As musicians, we've been lamenting the lack of audiences in music making, and we've realised how crucial the collective engagement is in creating the atmosphere and energy that makes live performance so attractive. So I wonder how sports people are finding the lack of spectators while they play. I mean, sure, it's probably nice to not have rival team spectators shouting offensive slurs at you when you're trying to do your job, but I'm sure many teams are missing that atmosphere of the crowd supporting you having your back, much like musicians. What I found interesting, though, is that the matches that I've been watching have gone to lengths to replicate the feeling and sound of being at a sports match. At the tennis, they have fake clapping at the end of every point. The stadium flashes lights and blasts music, like a nightclub, while the players take a rest. While watching the rugby, I could opt to watch with something called Stadium FX, which is just generic crowd noise of people hollering. (sighs) But of course, there's no one there. So imagine if classical musicians took a leaf out of this book and had something called Concert Hall FX. I know for some of the televised BBC proms performances, they put in applause from people watching outdoors on a big screen in parks around the country probably to disguise the fact that the performers were playing to an empty Albert Hall. But let's not stop there. Don't forget the barrage of coughing in between movements. (coughs) 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 The person who decides to rummage through a plastic bag and open their noisy sweets in the middle of the performance. Mmm, Harry Bowl. The awkward smattering of applause between movements from people who aren't sure if they should clap. as well as the disapproving (laughs) from those who have refrained. And to finish things off, let's have a button programmed of people going, (laughs) interspersed with the voice of one person, probably a man, going, bravo, at the end of the encore. So there you go. Concert Hall FX. You heard it here first. All rights reserved, Davina Shum, 2020. Please direct inquiries to asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. My guest this week is Sarah Watkins. She's a pianist based in Auckland. She was actually one of my lecturers back when I was at the University of Auckland, where she teaches. Specialising in collaboration, she spoke to me about the challenges of accompanying via recording and teaching piano via Zoom when you can't see your students' feet. She provides a lovely insight into musician life in post-COVID New Zealand. Because, of course, New Zealand is functioning on a level that's almost back to normal. Try not to be jealous when you hear about Sarah's week involving touring, performing in front of audiences, working with other people, leaving the house, and New Zealand scenery. 
accompanied by the sounds of birds chirping outside her dad's place in Christchurch, where she chatted to me. Along with violinist Andrew Beer, Sarah has recorded an album of contemporary New Zealand works called Eleven Frames, which, since this conversation was recorded, has just won the Aotearoa Music Award for Best Classical Artist. It's a tremendous achievement, and we chat about the state of New Zealand composition in this day and age, and how multiculturalism continues to influence New Zealand's musical voices. Here's my chat with Sarah. Sarah Watkins, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight slash your today because you're in Christchurch all the way in New Zealand. It's really lovely to see you and I have to ask first of all, because New Zealand continues to be the envy of the world in many different things, many different ways, with life seemingly almost back to normal in a lot of respects compared to here in the UK and other places in the world. What have you been up to in the past week? Gosh, well, hey, it's great to see you and to to chat with you, Davina. Yes, I agree. We are so lucky here in New Zealand and um, I can never take that for granted. You know, I think we've done an extraordinary job of kind of keeping things under control, even if, you know, some people see our lockdown measures as being on the forceful side. I I don't think anybody in New Zealand would begrudge what we're able to do now. And Mm. um, yeah, it was it was a pretty tough few months here for a while, coming in and out of lockdown. And of course, living in Auckland, we had a second crack at it. Oh, of course, <laughs> um, just yeah. recently. Yeah. yeah, we might be doing the same thing shortly in a yeah. few weeks' time. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh. <laughs> we went hard for that first month, month and a bit, and uh, then we got out of lockdown, and it was, you know, really a. a did feel like things were pretty much back to normal with concerts resuming, which is fantastic. And then, yeah, and then, as I say, Auckland went into a second lockdown, which meant, unfortunately, all the concerts that I was looking forward to doing had to be rescheduled. So um, you asked me what I've been up to this week. Well, I've had five concerts in the past six days. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's kind of five different, I know, a little bit overkill. (laughs) So it's no. like you're you're hitting the ground running, basically. I Come know. out of lockdown and all those concerts that you were going to do, let's do them all yeah. now. <laughs> let's do them over Labor Weekend. Yeah, so Thursday night I was um, playing piano in the APO, the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra. Uh, we did a coffee of seventh symphony which was fantastic just gorgeous symphony so that was Thursday night then Saturday and Sunday I I went to the lower North Island with Andrew Beer who's the concert master of the APO and uh, we did a couple of fantastic house concerts um, in Greytown and Palmerston North so you know chucking a little bit of Kreutzer Sonata there and um, (laughs) some New Zealand pieces off our CD and Clara Schumann more Prokofiev yeah gorgeous stuff then Monday night it was a uh, viola recital um, also at Rannick with some it was more kind of English flavoured actually we had um, Arnold Bax in there and some um, it was almost like a tribute to Lionel Turtis so some of his little arrangements which you know really kind of luscious beautiful sort of salon style pieces. I have to say having lived in the UK for seven years 
the mm. English composers do viola music very well and very prolifically. There's a lot of it. That's beautiful. And in actually a really early work by New Zealand composer Alfred Hill, who, um, you know, yeah. we over here think of Douglas Lilburn as being the father of New Zealand music, but actually Alfred Hill was up, up and doing stuff in the late 1800s. This piece was written... 1891 I think which was just before the Brahms sonata that we also played in the program and um, it's just amazing to think you know here he was on this side of the world writing at the same time as Brahms we don't tend to put New Zealand in that kind of a musical context no of course because anything that's over 100 years old in New Zealand is considered really really old isn't it that's right yeah (laughs) but like also if you would see like any similarities at all in the music it would be really strange to think that that was during a time when there wasn't this constant sharing over the internet and there's so much content out there and it's how how do they come to these similar musical conclusions that's right so you know he I mean he did end up going and studying um in Europe I think so you know and that's another interesting thing when you think of all of the you know the the effort and the time it took for them to get from the Northern Hemisphere to New Zealand, you know, they they, yeah. they talk about six months in a leaky boat. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> the classic split-end song. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but honestly, it, it would have taken them that long. And so then to to turn around and go back and um, explore the, the world and see what was going on musically, you know, that's a big commitment. Yeah, totally. And then to, then to come back. So, you know, quite an extraordinary character, I'd say. Wow. Yeah, so that was Monday night, and then um, Tuesday night I had the last concert of a tour that um, I undertook with some of my um, APO colleagues, and this was uh, thanks to Chamber Music New Zealand. Actually, we're really lucky. It was one of those concerts that um, came about as a result of the pandemic. Because we have closed our borders, we can't get any overseas performers in. Uh, without you know them having to do a two-week quarantine when they come in and all that kind of stuff. Very expensive quarantine, I've heard. <laughs> a very expensive quarantine, yes. It's possible, but yeah, it's expensive. So a lot of New Zealand musicians have actually benefited from that mm. and getting some concert opportunities. So we were given this tour, and it was all music from the 1920s, along with a new work by Kiwi composer, and bassoonist Ben Hoadley, mm-hmm. um, who wrote for a very unusual combination. It was because uh, it was a mixed program. So it was piano, violin, cello, trumpet, clarinet, and bassoon. Wow, that's quite weird. That's like a lot of weird clefs and weird transpositions. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it was based on the one piece that exists for that already is the Martineau Review de Cuisine, which is the Kitchen Review, which is a, a ballet with kitchen utensils as the um, prime characters. So go figure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that piece. It sounds hilarious. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. Very Dada inspired, I'm sure, you know, from the 1920s yeah. and you know, the um, the pot and the lid, you know, are happily married and then the wooden spoon tries to come between them to break it up. And <laughs> Gosh, dramas in the kitchen with inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, the pot running away with the spoon and then meanwhile the dishcloth comes in on the act. And it's oh, just, my God. It's, fun. it's a little bit Beauty and the Beast, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and every, everything ends up okay in the end, I guess. Of course, of course. <laughs> but, um, as, as it does. But, no, the music is great. Um, yeah, yeah. Very entertaining, you know, the there's a tango in there, of course. You can imagine all the seduction going on between the wooden spoon and the 
and the pot. Saucy times in the kitchen, yeah. It's saucy times. Hey, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did it feel um, playing with musicians again? Oh, look, it was great. I mean, that was, I have to say, one of the most challenging things I've had to do in a long time. As a collaborative pianist, it's my pleasure and joy to to make music with other people so came the lockdown and first of all we had to do the whole online teaching uh, thing which I don't know if you experienced any of that but <laughs> I could start another podcast about my experience oh I know that, that's a lot yeah tales yeah. of the pandemic yeah. yeah but yes I'm sure many of your listeners will know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about and that uh, boy the challenges yeah you know it's all very well saying well if you've got a good microphone and everything it'll, it makes it so much easier and you can get on zoom and, and but I think yeah. for piano there's the added challenge of the different camera angles you must need right not to mention the sound but also like hands yeah probably want to see your students face hopefully yeah <laughs> I mean ideally you want to see them kind of side on keyboard absolutely but if you can get their um you know, what are they doing with their feet? What are, what's, what's happening with the pedal down there? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, I have one student who I didn't see her feet for an entire term, and then it wasn't until she'd recorded a school recital, in inverted commas, yeah. where she'd been filmed completely in the frame, that she was basically on her tippy toes. I had no yeah. idea for an entire term. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still continuing to teach her online. I have to keep telling her. Now, I know I can't see your feet, but just a little reminder, feet yeah. fell on the floor. Feet on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was definitely a challenge. I mean, some of my students had, these are, you know, my university students, they had to work on an electronic keyboard because oh. that's what they had in their apartments. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to have access to the university practice facilities uh, during most of that time. So that was another challenge. The sound quality was, oh, yes. Yeah. Squiffy at best. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that thing that Zoom does where it doesn't quite register anything that's too low or anything that's too high. Yeah, and of course you get a lot of that with piano and you get it all of it at the same time and just the sheer density of it, the number of notes that are being played, the speed, the loudness, yeah. all of that. Do you find it really exhausting? I mean, it must be quite an onslaught oh, in that sense. My goodness. The, the day one, I thought, how on earth am I going to do this? But we just had to go in boots and all and do it. So yeah, the teaching side of things during the, our lockdown was, was a challenge. But a lot of students had their end of semester recitals to prepare. Mm. So all the accompanists had to prepare pre-recorded backing tracks. <laughs> oh no! Um, wow. For the students to play along with, and they had to do those groovy split screen. You know, here I am. Here's the pianist, <laughs> and submit that as their as their yeah, final as recital. That must be so difficult. How do you pre-record something that relies so much on, you know, the spontaneity of being in the moment and, you know, things like tempo changes and stuff like that? Do you just have to do it and then the person has to play with you? That's right. I mean, you know, for better or worse, one one of the pieces was the Frank Sonata. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's like, good grief. It's one of the most expressive, dialogue-rich duos in the repertoire. You know, I had to play it imagining what they might do but also just ultimately kind of thinking well this is how I feel it and this is how I would want to shape it you know allowing for for those things send off the video to the violinist and then she would send back a kind of a mock-up and say crikey you need to um you know 
understand a little bit more what the piano part's happening yeah. or what's happening in the piano part because you're you know about half a bar out <laughs> and um you know oh just it was so challenging for them yeah. you know my trombone player had a had a piece that had a couple of cadenzas in the middle of it oh my god you know we'd been asked to we or rather we weren't allowed to split up the takes we had to do it in one take so also oh, they couldn't just like pause you while he did the cadenza and then press play yeah, on you exactly. again oh no yeah so we had to he said okay well I've timed the cadenzas and, and the second one lasts 43 seconds so I, I sat there you know oh. playing off my iPad and had my, my phone to one side and I hit the timer and 43 <laughs> seconds later and I come it worked I don't know how it worked yeah yeah but I, I mean I would feel like if I was having to perform a cadenza in such a restricted amount of time that it would go wrong oh, and then because I would be thinking like that it probably would go wrong, you know? I can think of something quite similar when I saw someone on a cruise ship perform a movement of a concerto with a backing track because obviously you're not going to have a, an orchestra with you on a That's cruise right. ship yeah. and <laughs> they had their backing track and there was a three-minute long cadenza and he must have just perfected it to yeah. fit within that time every single night. Yeah. And it's it just, pretty amazing. It takes away that that feeling of yeah. yeah. And well, yeah. And if you if you decide in the moment that you want to stretch out a phrase or or move it through, you know, what's going to happen at the other end? <laughs> it could be a total train wreck. So we all learned a lot from that that process. I think um, it certainly brought about a lot of great dialogue. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the students had to think about it a little bit more. It's like, mm, actually, what do I need? How do I ask for that yeah. in terms of if they wanted to phrase something a little bit differently? So obviously we couldn't do endless takes and retakes, but send a first draft and then work with it and find out what's working, what, you know, are the tempos mm. okay? Do they need moving? So you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's collaboration, but in just a slightly different way. And yes. I suppose the challenge with doing anything over Zoom is just testing one's communication skills. And I, I guess that's a good thing because that means yeah. that people are gaining these skills to speak totally. about what they want in rehearsals, which I think a lot of people can struggle with, not being able to know how to ask for something. That's right. And I think when you are in a real-time collaboration, often a pianist, especially if the pianist is a professional collaborator and that's what we do, you know, we're doing lots of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know, you know, the, the kind of the behind the scenes, the subtly fixing things or adjusting, you know, making all the adjustments yeah. without questioning or without the need for a, a conversation or a discussion around it. But if the student hasn't had that awareness or the experience playing with the piano, then they it's like, oh, what's going on? Hmm. So, yeah, having to, to learn how to articulate musical requests and subtleties, yeah. the start of some good things. In that regard, not a bad thing. But, yeah, boy, that was... <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, I mean, I've done a little bit of playing in person with some people now, but it's just such yeah. a relief. It makes it so much easier when you're at least you're oh, in the same room. I know. So having gone from that whole experience, you know, on the one hand, it was it was nice to be playing the piano again because I, I felt like it was it was that thing in the other room that I didn't really want to go and talk to <laughs> right there was something about the uncertainty of what was going to be happening with music making and the concerts that I had lined up or the ones that were cancelled it was quite sad actually I think and I'm, I'm sure a lot of musicians around the world have gone through it's a real sense of grief in a way um, yeah. for your norm and your ability to make music and share it with other people. So, yeah, I was kind of, went, went through various stages of what's the point? Why mm-hmm. am I 
why am I practicing? Because I don't even know if it's going to happen. Yeah. I think everyone thought initially, oh, it's a great opportunity to learn all that repertoire that I've always wanted to learn. I've had all the time in the world. But it's like, actually, no, it's a bit hard. <laughs> yeah, you have to have that grieving process, I think. And I think a lot of people are similar. They took a bit of a break from their instrument yeah. or from their music making. And then yeah. having taken a break by exploring other avenues, such as making sourdoughs or learning other languages or various other yeah. skills. <laughs> Crafting out the sewing machine and making masks. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So having had a break doing other things, I feel like a lot of people are now returning to music, remembering their initial love for that and why they do it. It's really difficult to get back into it when you don't have anything coming up. Yeah. That's right. So to finally have that when we got the all clear to do our tour, which was 10 concerts, you know, that's driving all around New Zealand. We did all the North Island concerts by car, which is great. So we had a convoy of two cars. (laughs) That's basically like a holiday, a working holiday. A holiday. And and actually, all all my colleagues were not New Zealand-born players. So some of them, we had two players, they just arrived in New Zealand for their jobs at the end of February. Mm-hmm. So they were very grateful to be here and yeah. to be able to, to make music, but also just the chance to explore the country. But the audiences as well, I think that the sense of, yay, you know, and maybe more of an appreciation for what they had before, but mm. maybe hadn't fully realised and appreciated it. So you take it for granted. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So you can just go and hear a concert you know turn on the radio and hear a live broadcast yeah. but if you don't have that you know what do you fill the void with so you know people just came out in droves it was fantastic oh that's really nice what are audiences like there do they have to be socially distant at all um not at the moment they don't really wow it was initially so to give you a bit of background we had different levels of lockdown Hmm. so level four was kind of the most extreme where you couldn't go out unless to the supermarkets or if you're an essential worker level three you could go out but it was all contactless payment you couldn't go sit in cafes or restaurants wasn't level three described as level four but with takeaways yeah that's right yeah (laughs) so you could go to mcdonald's and get a takeaway whatever yeah but you you couldn't actually go into the restaurant then level two was you could go out more but with restrictions on meeting numbers Mm -hmm. so that meant no more than 10 people I think in a group with spaces in between groups of a meter or two and then level one which is what we're in now where the concerts are um, are open again to the public I think level two also had you couldn't have more than 100 people at any Okay. Um, yeah. time. So if, if you were, you know, in the Auckland Town Hall, for example, you could have only had 100 people in there. So, yeah. which yeah. is why the orchestras weren't doing live performances. So there were instances of concerts taking place in level two where they might do two performances so that they could get 100 mm-hmm. into the first performance and another 100 in the second. It was decided that we couldn't do our tour unless we were in level one mm. because there was going to be more than 100 people, which worked except that Auckland went into that second lockdown and we stayed on a little bit. So we had to reschedule the Auckland concert to the very end, which was just as well because we we're all Auckland-based. Okay. <laughs> would have been a bit sad. So it's just like you're returning home. I know, it's one. like, yeah. yay! Yeah. yeah, kind of lovely um, way to end the tour. So we just finished that on Tuesday night. But yeah, oh. great to be out making music again. But tell you what, I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, especially after you have your several months of lockdown and you lose your capacity capacity somewhat to be working loads and loads and loads and then to do what six concerts 
five concerts in six days, yeah. then yeah. it's a sudden test on your facility again, isn't it? Your physical stamina, your mental stamina, it's that, that concentration that you just haven't had to engage in, in such a long time. It's like, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's like my body was out of practice. And, you know, and I'm someone who, as you may remember, tends to do 101 things all at once. And, you know, lots of recitals on at the same time and, you know, with student exams and all of that thing mm -hmm. coming up. Gisborne competitions, you know, it's like I have quite a capacity for undertaking a lot of playing at once. But, yeah, this was a, another whole level of hard. I was like, I'd forgotten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had to rebuild my training. It's like I've, I've started training for the marathon or something again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> definitely there are parallels with being an athlete there because it's just like anything. You've got to train to be a musician. You've got to keep in yeah. shape. And when you stop yeah. doing it, then you get worse. And then yep. you have to just keep doing it. You've got to keep up that level in order to... That's right. I mean, like, I had to yeah. go on a train today and I'm mentally exhausted. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it's like, people, ah! Ugh, <laughs> who are these people? I know. And it's just, in some ways, it's the overload of the senses. And I think if a good thing could have come out of the lockdown process was that, just having to actually slow down yeah. and listen mm. and be quiet and appreciate and go for walks yeah. Greet your fellow walkers from a distance, mm. you know, with a with a wave and a and a smile and yeah. Kind of going going back to that slightly simpler time because I think in in a way, you know, I don't want to say that we've brought this upon ourselves, but there is an element of the world having gotten to such a crazy pace yeah. of doing things that we're all just kind of constantly in a state of catch up and running and yeah. going from here to there and, and everywhere at 100 miles an hour. And it's like, oh, you know, yeah. how long can we keep that up? Exactly. It's just wondering how sustainable that is because I would say most musicians get into the music industry because they love what they're doing, but then you get to that point yeah. where you're so busy that it can be easy to forget why you get into this field. That's right. And it has in some ways taken a global pandemic for a lot of people to realise how much they miss it. Like you were saying before with live audiences, you take yeah. it for granted a little bit. It's a bit like, well, this is a thing that I do for work and yeah. I'm doing all right. So things are fine. But then when your yeah. industry vanishes, <laughs> then it's oh, all gone. I, and I just, I so feel for my colleagues and friends around the world. I mean, like I say, I just, I am so grateful for how mm. things are here in New Zealand. And yes, the arts have been gutted and, you know, there's a lot of things have been cancelled and a lot of people really struggling. But, you know, it's getting back slowly but surely. And I think there is support for it to come along. And it's, yeah. it's giving local artists greater opportunities, yeah. I think. So I can imagine next year the orchestras in New Zealand will be featuring a lot of New Zealand and um, Australian uh, soloists and conductors mm -hmm. which is great yeah we've been having a big push on supporting local and and that initially has meant go out into your community go back to the cafes and the mm -hmm. and the small shops and the businesses that have been really hurting but now that also means you know support local musicians yeah um, and all our wonderful creatives that have been doing all these great things that you may not have been aware of just go out there and get them behind i am noticing this <laughs> the sense of, in many different countries in the world but music really returning back to its grassroots 
And, you know, if big institutions aren't able to function at the moment in a lot of places, then the core element of music making is at least getting together with the people in your close circle to do some chamber music or something fun. Chamber music, exactly. It's like it's a, a great opportunity to just make music in, in small groups and find the opportunities and yeah. lots of house concerts. Yeah, fostering those relationships with people that can facilitate those opportunities. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. You're not getting back on a treadmill of yeah. sorts. So, yeah. yeah, I think th- things will be different going yeah. forward. It's we, we, we can't go back to how things were. It's If Anything. we think about what you were doing a year ago, oh. if you, could, you know, the crystal ball gazing, that was like nobody saw this coming. Yeah, for sure. And in a way, I'm quite happy this year compared to some aspects of my life last year. Just Yeah. But yeah, as you say, running on that treadmill and there were things that I was very grateful back then, but also, you know, I don't really miss being in five different cities in as many days as I was last year. And yeah. I quite like being able to sleep in the same bed every night. That's quite nice. nice. Yes. <laughs> So as you mentioned before, supporting local artists and New Zealand artists, you've released an album recently with the violinist you mentioned before, Andrew Beer, concertmaster of APO, called Eleven Frames. And it features contemporary works from New Zealand composers. So running on this theme here, what made you decide to make this recording featuring New Zealand artists? Andrew and I have done a few concerts over the years, and Andrew's from Canada originally and he's been concert master of the APO for about seven eight years now I think he's always really enjoyed getting to know New Zealand compositions through the orchestra but also we did a, a tour quite early on and we performed a piece by a Canadian composer and we also commissioned Leonie Holmes who's an Auckland composer and a colleague at the university to write a work for us which she did and it was great it's called Dance of the Wintersmith and for you Terry Pratchett fans out there it's um, kind oh, of was right. took inspiration from a character in one of his books beautiful work and that went on to be I think it was a finalist um, in the Sounds Contemporary Award the following year which was uh, fantastic and anyway Andrew and I just sat down one day and thought gosh wouldn't it be great to make a CD he hadn't ever done one before great what do we do and he's like well what about New Zealand works let's talk to Rattle Records Rattle's a great supporter of Kiwi composers and, and performers so we looked at all the um, existing repertoire, picked the ones that we liked, mm. and we commissioned another three, I think, Josiah Carr and Ruben Jellyman, two emerging talents, big, big talents. Juliet Palmer, who's a Canadian-based Kiwi composer, so there was that nice kind of connection oh, cool. between Canada and yeah. New Zealand again. Yeah. But also Gal Ping, Gillian Whitehead, Anthony Ritchie, Anthony Watson, Alex Taylor, just, you know, fantastic composers in there. And yeah, and we came up with this quite lovely CD. So, <laughs> quite lovely. If I say it's so quite myself. lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're terribly excited because it's up for the classical CD of the year, the um, music awards in a couple of weeks. So um, yeah. keep your fingers crossed, everybody. <laughs> That's very exciting. Congratulations <laughs> on your nomination. Yeah. So you've worked with lots of New Zealand composers over the years. Yeah. Yes. What sort of trends or themes have you noticed emerging from these composers, if any? Yeah. It's a really good question because in, in some ways it's, a, it's an impossible one to, to answer because for my take, one of the great things about New Zealand composers and the whole 
composition community is this real encouragement to find one's own voice. And there's no real sense of wanting to sound like one or you might be inspired by certain composers around you whether that's in New Zealand or, or abroad but I, I do feel like there's just so many strong voices which are quite individual. That's really interesting that you say that actually because I think with countries that have a much older school of composition you know it's really easy to think of those nations isn't it the French school the Russian school the German school yep. etc but like right. It's nice to think that New Zealand's this melting pot of That's lots exactly of... the word that was in my head then. It's a melting pot of yeah. all of that, but yeah. also we're, we're so close to the Asia-Pacific communities yeah. as well. So there's a great sense of being able to tap into you know, our connections with China and Pacific Islands. And of course, even our indigenous music and writing and instruments, you know, Tangaporo, you know, these gorgeous sounds and tonalities and you know all of that is sort of coming to the fore and and collaborations and and musical style as well if I were to see any trends I think there's a lot of wonderful lyricism returning very expressive writing but also some really great kind of miniatures and minimalism and you know exploration of micro sounds and micro languages you know, and I'm thinking of Ruben Jellyman, who, who wrote for us a tiny little variations of, you know, the, probably the whole whole work is about three or four minutes and it's four or five variations on this little theme and they're just sort of very fleeting and wispy gestures and delicate, transparent sounds. And then you get the full-blown, you know, Gareth Farr, Gamelan style, which is just <laughs> kind of like, ah, you know, which is fantastic. He's a percussionist, wasn't he? He was a percussionist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, really inspired by the whole gamelan scene of Indonesia. And, yeah, just, you know, it's it's great. (laughs) That's really comforting, isn't it? It's just, you know, you can't really define what New Zealand music is because it's just very diverse. And I'm sure, you know, maybe some of our leading composers who've, you know, watched the development, you know, I think of dear Eve de Castro Robinson, for example, and Dame Gillian Whitehead, I'm sure they've got a great sense of, you know, what has been happening and and what they've seen emerge over the past 30, 40 years. Mm. But I think they would say the level of creativity and individuality is amazing. And I was lucky enough to be um, on the panel for the, the Sounds Contemporary Award this past year, which was just awarded a couple of nights ago, actually, you know, we were given scores. They were blind scores, if, if that makes sense. So I, we didn't know who they were. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sure. Sorry. No, I didn't explain that very well. Yes, so we, um, like, we, were, we were given a score, but we weren't allowed to look at it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so we could see the score. We could listen to the recording if there, if there was one or a, yep, a MIDI sure. mock-up. We didn't know who the composers were, but boy, the inventiveness and the variety. And it just is like, well, you know, New Zealand compositions in great shape. Some, yeah, just extraordinary works. That's very good to hear. There is a future yeah, for that. It sure, sure is. And it's nice to think about how, you know, as you mentioned before, Alfred Hill doing his thing in the late 19th century, not even that long yep. ago. And yeah. then moving on to Lilburn and how how much composition in New Zealand has evolved even though yeah. New Zealand, I say we, like I'm not there at the moment, but I still consider myself you, New Zealand. But, you know, even though we as a country are so isolated from the rest of the yeah. world and it has been a tool in this evolution of different yeah. voices. Totally. Cool. And just, you know, this rich creativity. It's 
fantastic. We're really proud of the CD in terms of just the sound quality, but also just the level of composition that Mm. we were presented with. And, you know, we're grateful for the support that we got to make that all happen, but and grateful to the composers for their fantastic music. So we'll have to do another one. Yeah. How's the lockdown been for you? I mean, what's your... Oh my goodness. Well, it was pretty hardcore as it was for the whole world in March. And then restrictions did ease somewhat. So in June, people were starting to venture out. And then summer, I think people went a bit mad over summer. I loved summer. I had a wonderful summer because everyone was free. You know, yeah. I, could, I could see people in sort of isolated groups. Yeah. And then I think people are starting to get a little bit more ambitious with music making. So there are a few little chamber things going on. I've, I'm quite lucky. I've got some concerts coming up week after next, right. which is nice. That's why I had to get on a train today because I had to go to rehearsal. <laughs> yes. But I mean, the infection rate is rising higher and higher and higher. So I wouldn't be surprised if we go the same way as France or Germany. Yeah. back into another national lockdown like you I'm feeling very grateful for the little bits of stuff that I am doing and it's just nice to nice to to work towards something yeah Yeah, totally yeah don't lose sight of the of the big picture even if if it means that you know our little bubbles you know that that's become kind of our go-to word down here is um... we've adopted that term I think ever since New Zealanders started using it they were like oh that's that's a word that people can understand yes bubble (laughs) but yeah even if you are in your in your wee bubble it's like keep those connections happening and and just you don't get too insular keep reaching out keep communicating keep making that music even if it is you know and on a smaller scale it's it's Mm. there don't we don't we don't want to lose it as i mentioned to you there are some (laughs) surprise questions coming up Ah! so (laughs) (laughs) each of my podcast episodes i have a segment called the wild card question round where you have the opportunity to choose what i ask you next based on three topics that i present you okay (laughs) so your choices are these are the topics Favourite repertoire, your day in food, and if you weren't a musician. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go with my day in food. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I love when people choose the food questions because I'm... I'm very passionate about food. I ate so much food before speaking to you, actually. I was like, got to have some dinner before I speak to Sarah. I don't want to have this conversation hungry. No, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. No, no. Can you tell me, what was the last thing you ate? I know you had breakfast recently. I did. And what are you going to eat next? What am I going to eat next? It's a mystery to me because... um, Yes, I'm staying at my dad's house, so I don't know what's in the fridge. But you can do, like, the forage. I could do the forage. <laughs> I reckon, like, the fridges of parents are always so well-stocked. Yes, things in there. Yes. Yeah. And, and I know there's some lovely-looking um, fruit in the in the bowl. You know, some we're, we're just at the end of Mandarin season, kiwi fruit, of course. Um, I can tell you that what I last ate was um, I went to a little cafe and I had – the dish was called Gorgeous George. <laughs> I think oh. it called Gorgeous George. And it was – smashed potatoes with a couple of eggs and bacon on top so yeah nothing like a good old fry up (laughs) 
Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. It wasn't the most healthy thing. Normally, normally for my breakfast, I'll soak oatmeal overnight with almond milk and, um, you know, mm-hmm. cinnamon and all that kind of good stuff with some fresh fruit on in the morning. So that's, that's my usual healthy go-to breakfast. But yeah. Yeah, not this morning. No, that was... But when you're going out for breakfast, you're not going to have something that you can just easily make yourself at home. This is why I find it so strange when you go out to a cafe and you can just buy toast with Marmite. Yeah, and it's like, why would you do that if you can just – why would you pay $4 or pounds yeah. or whatever to just <laughs> so have, have that out? No, no. So I'm not likely to cook spuds in the morning, so it was no, – very enjoyable. I like that. So smashed potatoes, were they in lieu of having a hash brown? I think so, yeah. So it was just kind of like little roasties, which had obviously been kind of fried up. They felt like very naughty potatoes, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, and with a couple of you know eggs on the top with yummy bacon on the side. Oh, wow. Yeah, and a nice coffee as well? A couple of good long blacks, yes. Yeah, we, oh, good. Yes. Can't go wrong in Can't that country. No, it made, made the trip over there. It was about, my dad lives quite rurally outside of Christchurch. And um, so we had to go all the way over to Sumner to take my partner to his course. Yeah, so it, was, it made the trip worthwhile, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice one. Yeah. Actually, I've been getting a craving for cafe-style brunches recently. And, of course, in the mornings I do have more time, so I can mm-hmm. make fairly elaborate things. Okay. Um, and one thing I'm really craving at the moment is an eggs benedict or mm. eggs florentine eggs yeah. what's the salmon one called oh. eggs royale <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah florentine's with the spinach isn't it spinach. yeah yeah yes. yeah spinach so i've been craving that so mark went to the supermarket and he mm-hmm. he said i'm going to go get some english muffins Ooh. and get this in this country they were just labeled muffins, muffins. <laughs> <laughs> But then I just got confused because then what do you call muffins here? I know. Muffins as well? And you're just expected to know the difference? I did. Maybe it's like chips and chips in New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll like chips with that. Yeah, but what sort? <laughs> yeah. Like oh. hot chips or like Crisp. chips? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wishing you all the best for your mystery meal in the future. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me tonight slash tomorrow on the podcast. <laughs> I'm coming to you from the future. <laughs> I know, I'm in the past. I'm, I'm the voice of the past. <laughs> can you tell us where people can find out more about you and your album? Well, I would say the best way to track down our album, I'm quite sure it's on Spotify if you want to look there, but if you Google Rattle Records, I think it's rattlerecords.com, and they've got all their albums on there and you can actually listen on there. You can purchase a downloadable version of it or you can buy a hard copy if you want, if you're old school. Old school, um, yes, old CDs. School. Do you still buy yeah, CDs? You can still buy CDs. It's a beautiful <laughs> CD, I have to say. And I'm on the usuals. I'm mostly on Facebook. I don't tend to do Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, see what I'm up to there. You'll see lots of pictures of cats. I'm a bit of a cat nut. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely chatting to you, Sarah, and thanks so much for your time. Great to see and and chat with you again too, Davina. That was my chat with Sarah Watkins. Fun fact, Sarah is a very good Scrabble player, and for years we used to play Words with Friends. Remember that game? Anyone still play that game? She's very good. The key is knowing all the two-letter words, like za and xi and qi. 
Someone always has to drop the cue bomb at some point throughout the game. This week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me comes from an anonymous contributor in the UK with this anecdote. Music College didn't prepare me for the time I was in an orchestra and we were travelling via coach to get to a gig. It was snowing very heavily and there was an accident on the motorway, so we drove through every little town on the way to the gig. Eventually, we were going up a hill and the tyres of the bus couldn't grip the road. So about ten people got off the bus and, with the help of some kind strangers, pushed the bus up the hill. It was appropriate that we were on our way to play the snowman. Disclaimer, I didn't actually push the bus myself. (laughs) I don't think many people wake up in the morning intending to push a bus up a hill through snow, so that's definitely something that music college wouldn't prepare you for. Remember, if you have something that music college didn't prepare you for that you'd like shared or discussed on the podcast, then let me know. You can email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. One final plug from me, recently I was lucky enough to have been interviewed by the wonderful Nadine Benjamin as part of her Facebook Live Safe at Home sessions. Nadine was my guest for episode 25, so if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd highly recommend it. As an NLP coach, she's got the words you need to hear if you're having a tough time. We spoke about the idea behind this podcast and how non-musical pursuits influence and inform our music making, so... I'll put a link to the YouTube video if you're interested in hearing me answer questions for once, rather than dispensing them. Now I know how it feels to be one of my guests. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Huge triple word scoring thanks to Sarah Watkins for taking the time to chat to me. And as always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at asitcomespod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The word podcast is starting to sound a bit strange now. And thank you for spreading the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye. (laughs) 